You're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. We are grateful for our teenagers embracing reading this. That's the emphasis we're doing. And we want to invite you to keep your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 1. If you're a guest with us today, we are so glad that you're joining with us either online or in person. If you're here with us and you're a first-time guest, I would love to meet with you directly after the service. Just come by and say hello. I'm pretty obvious to pick out, taller than most. I've got this bright orange shirt on today. So if you can't find me, God help you. But we'd love, we'd love for you to make this your home, and we're so grateful. I know a lot of you are getting the, the vaccination shots, and so if you're watching at home and you get that second shot in you, come on and join us in worship. Lots of guests and lots of people here this morning. We would love for you to be joining with us. So tonight... Who are you pulling for? Are you a Chief fan? Are you pulling for the Buccaneers? Who's your team tonight? Or you just don't care? I just could care less. My desire is that Tom Brady would not win another one. That's the only thing I care about tonight, right? <laughs> hey, now listen. Now get serious here for just a second. Today I'm going to have a lot of excellent points. It's going to be a great message, excellent points. And I don't need you coming up here with a Gatorade and dousing me after this service, okay? All right? So if you've got any thoughts doing that, I, I'm a big guy, and so I don't want to take me on there. Have you, ever, have you ever gone to a car lot and seen that new car sticker on the window? You know what I'm talking about? If you're old enough to remember this reference, when you go to see those new car stickers, you do a Fred Sanford. Elizabeth, I'm coming to join you. That sticker shock. But when you see the new car sticker there, you see all the standard equipment. And you see the optional equipment. And you see the destination charge. And you, there you see the, the, the model number and the gas much. It's that new car sticker. It details for you all the equipment the new car has. We've been studying one sentence in the Greek for five Sundays. Now let that just sink in for just a moment. One sentence in the Greek, verses 3 through 14, that was just read a moment ago by Braden, is one sentence in the original Greek, five in our English versions or at least in mine, but one. And it's an incredible sentence. It's what God does to a believer who's in Christ. He piles up these blessings. He's just piling them up. And I've said in the before, it's sort of a nosebleed. It's a nosebleed sentence. It brings you to the ethereals. It brings you to the clouds so that you can see the great depth of this. Now, I'm one who does not care for heights. I don't like to be up high, but there's hidden heights and there's obvious heights. There are those heights that obviously you can see, I'm way up here and I'm going to back off the ledge. And there's other times that you find yourself at an elevated height, but you're not aware of it. This happened to me this week. Some of you who follow me on social media know that, and you'll see this uh, on the screens, that uh, my son and I had a conference in Florida, and so we took advantage of it, and we did a little deep sea fishing. And as we did some deep sea fishing, what we discovered was a number of things. One, if you go to Florida in the early part of February, you ought to bring a coat because when you're traveling, however fast we were, it is cold in Florida. So bring a coat. Be smart about it. Listen to your wife. That's what I'm telling you. Listen to your wife. So we're skipping out of these waves, and you're seeing him. Now watch, watch him reel. That's my youngest son. You just watch him reel that in now. Just watch how long he does it. And so we get out there. And uh, he loves to fish. I take him fishing every so often. And, and the piece is, the guy who's piloting the boat, we're about a mile off the coast. We can see all the buildings there. We can see Fort Lauderdale. 
And he's got one of those, what I'd call a GPS. And he shows us the GPS right in front of the wheel, and he points right about the place where we are right there. He says, you see all those colors right there? The red and the yellow and the green? He said, those are fish. Friend, there was a lot of fish down there. It was at that moment that Tom, that was his name, he calls, we, we drop the, the sinker over the side, and what he could tell on that little screen is that we're about 250 to 290 feet above the ocean floor. Do you see what he's doing there with his left hand? Go ahead and do that with me. Just do that. Go ahead. Do that. Do that for a minute and a half and pull that fish up. That's how long it takes to bring a fish, or it takes us to bring a fish up from about 250 to 300 feet deep. He got one right there. I don't know if you'll see it. It's a really great experience. See, there's hidden depths, and there's obvious depths. That was hidden to us. We couldn't see it. I'm challenged this morning because my fear is that you, who are part of this church family, may have watched and seen us study this sentence for five weeks. You don't sense the depth of the blessings that God has for anyone who's in Christ. You think that it's about 10 to 15 feet deep, and it would take no more than the snap of a wrist to bring that up. But what's happening here below our feet in verses 3 through 14 is incredible. Let me just give you some details. All these are the blessings. You track with me. Beginning in verse 3, the Bible says, God's, God says, you were chosen. Verse 5, you were adopted. Verse 7, you were redeemed. That was you were purchased back. Verse 7, God's very son shed his blood for you. You are forgiven. Verse 8, God lavished his grace on you. God has given you wisdom and insight. Verse 11, you've inherited everything that the Son of God inherits. Verse 12, you now have hope. And here's the last of the blessings. You've been given a guarantee, which is called the sealing of the Spirit. See, my fear is that we've underestimated this, and I'm pretty sure that I have, that we've underestimated how much God has piled up the blessings there, and we think that bringing this up to the surface would take no more than about 15 seconds there's so much depth here. In fact, the depth is so incredible, all that sentence is so incredible that God has done for one believer. It's not optional equipment, standard equipment for a believer. Then in chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, God even puts a prayer in the book of Ephesians to teach us to pray something like this, Father, would you give me the eyes the inner eyes inside my heart to see the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of the love of God. You know, there's a self-esteem movement so that you'd feel good about yourself. I'm telling you, no achievement, no weight loss, no fame, no Instagram popularity can match this if you're in Christ. He loves you this greatly. It, how much does he love you? There's a prayer in the Bible for you to say, God open my eyes so that I could comprehend this. So it's incredible. And so today, what I want to look with you is to see this last of the blessings. Notice in verse 3, he calls these blessings. And so the last of these blessings is this guarantee that when you're in Christ, you're sealed. You're sealed. Now, that may not mean anything to you right now, but you and I should be happy about this. This is guaranteed. It's better than the FDIC, better than any guarantee that you'll receive, any warranty. The Bible says these are guaranteed. Let me show you, beginning in verse 13, the Bible says first, right there, when you heard the word of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation. Every religion around the world says you've got to do something to be accepted by God. Jesus says you've got to hear something. You've got to hear something. If you want to know that you're okay, your status is just fine with God, it's not about doing something, it's about hearing something. And the Bible calls upon us to hear the word of truth, not hear my version of truth, hear the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And becoming a Christian doesn't happen when your parents do something when you're an infant. It doesn't happen when you walk in the doors of the church. Something powerful happens. It happens when you hear the gospel. You hear the words of truth. Now, from my vantage point, lots of people hear, but some people listen. I've often wondered in recent days that as people watch me as I preach, I wonder, do they know that I can see them? I wonder at times if they think that there's a mirror here that that you can see me, but I can't see you because from my vantage point, I see some funny things every Sunday. Let's hope that I keep my mouth shut and don't tell on you. And my friend Tom, that was in the boat with me, it became obvious at the conversation that he knew the Lord. And I said, well, Tom, how did you come to know the Lord? And he said, well, my, my uncle brought me to the church. And he pointed. He pointed to a church one mile off. this Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, D. James Kennedy. For some of you who've got any background, you know Kennedy in this television ministry of several decades ago. And he said, it was right there. I grew up Catholic, but my uncle brought me to church. And he said, at first I came on Christmas and Easter. But eventually, I heard the gospel. I heard. And he said, Kennedy, the pastor, led me to faith in Christ. And then he, he said the, the thing that I remember the most. He said, what's interesting to me is that I know Kennedy well enough through the years that every time he preaches, he shares the gospel. And so why is it, Tom said, that I didn't hear the gospel earlier? You see, what he discovered about himself is what anybody who knows Jesus. There's a superficial hearing, and then there's a real hearing. There's a superficial hearing, and there's a real hearing. It becomes white noise, but all of a sudden, it's like the lights are turned on. And something powerful, that's what happens right here in this text. When you hear the word of truth, and some of you have heard this from a Sunday school teacher, and a mother, and a father, or a pastor, or a coworker, or the day that it, it clicks, you can't explain it. You can't explain that. I can't explain it. I've got degrees all over the place. I can't explain it, but there's a day when you hear it, and your whole world is turned upside down, and it's revolutionary. The Bible says here, at this moment, when you hear the word of truth, something powerful happens. You believe in him. Do you see that? The next words, and believed in him. Your trust is in him. Your trust is in him. Like if I were sitting on the chair that you're sitting in right now, you've put your trust, all of your weight, if it gives way, your bottom is going to hit the floor. You're going to be embarrassed. You've trusted that that can hold you up. Some of you have more trust than others. I won't get into the details of that. But look at carefully. The trust that you put in Jesus Christ. Now, look at these first two words right there in verse 13. The Bible says, in him. Those are critical words. In the 15 verses, the first 15 verses of Ephesians, Jesus appears either by name or by pronoun 14 times. 
He is so critical. He is such a key. You can't miss him. If you miss Christ, you miss all these blessings. If you want the blessings, you must be in Christ. I've been following these news stories in recent days. Some of you know Bitcoin, this cryptocurrency. So rather than having my money tracked, other people knowing how much money I have and all that kind of stuff, if I go in and buy Bitcoin, I'm anonymous. Criminals love this kind of thing, and maybe others would like it as well. And what I found interesting was German authorities catch a thief recently. They catch this fraudster. And this guy, let me look this up, make sure I get this right. Yes, has $60 million worth of Bitcoin. $60 million. That's a lot of money. Only when he's caught, he won't give up the password. He won't give up the password. He's going to be in prison for two years, and he will not give up the password because his fraudulent money is invested there. The authorities can't recover it. Now, if you're shaking your head at that one, let me tell you about a man in San Francisco by the name of Stephen Thomas. Stephen Thomas has $220 million worth of Bitcoin. But the problem is, see, the coins are not anything that I could have. There's no currency. can't have it in my hand. It's all digital. Stephen can't remember his password. <laughs> True story. Check it out. New York Times. He's laid awake at night, and he has 10 attempts, total of 10 max, that he can mess up the password on the 10th time, it's gone. No second chances. According to a news article, Stefan is at number nine. Mm-hmm. Now, $220 million, that gets anybody salivating, right? The password is critical. Jesus Christ is your password to these blessings. If you do not have the password, there's no in, run around. There's no hack they're gone without Jesus. You must have Jesus. And the blessings, starting in verse 3 all the way through 14, are better than currency. See, currency, I can take your money. I can steal your money. You can lose your money. You're only going to have your money as long as you live. Nobody believes what the Egyptian pharaohs do. None of us are so stupid. Remember what they did? They put all their money in the tombs with them as if they could get it in the next life. It's still there. The next level of thieves came along and took it. You don't want money. You want something eternal. That's exactly what's going on here. Jesus Christ is the correct password. He is the one whom you believe and you trust. He's critical. He's so critical. Now, Scott, how, how can you say that Jesus, when there's so many other religions, how can you say he is so valuable? What about all these other religions? And the Again, the critical piece, to use that word again, it's in his life, it's in his death, and it's in his resurrection. Hear me clearly. Nobody did what Jesus has done. Nobody. Take them all. Take all the religious figures on Mount Rushmore that you want. Take contemporary and take ancient. Nobody said what Jesus said, and nobody did what Jesus did. For me, it all centers in on one weekend, on a holiday called Easter. And if you can disprove to me the resurrection, I may adopt your religion. But I am convinced that God in flesh rose from the grave. Therefore, the critical piece is Jesus Christ. We trust in him. We believe in him. Now, what happens? This piece about Jesus. Look what happens next. At the end of verse 13, the Bible says this. You were sealed. Look at this. Sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. You were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? It's like I'm getting up here and I'm reading the phone book to you or I'm reading the tax code of 2020. Who cares, Pastor, that we were sealed? Well, 
That sealing is a guarantee. It's a guarantee that every blessing that's in Christ is given to you. It is God's guarantee, and it's his sealing. In fact, I want you to see this. I want you to note the syntax of verse 13. Just go ahead and put your eyes right there. And I want to be the grammar police for you. I don't want to be my eighth grade grammar teacher. God help me. We're going to diagram sentences. Lord forbid. No, not going to do that. But look what carefully. At the moment, look what it says. In him, in Jesus, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed in the spirit right then and there. Everybody say those words, right then and there. Say it like you mean it, right then and there. Not a subsequent event, not the second half after an intermission, not I embraced Christ, believed him, moments, years, decades passed. The syntax, the Greek of verse 13 is clear. It is right then and there. Now, you may be like Tom. You may have heard the gospel in a superficial way. But there's a day in which you hear it. There's a day in which you hear it. And when you hear it, you embrace it. By the way, believers, just put your head right here and look at your pastor for just a moment. Don't ever get tired of telling people the gospel. I want to remind you of this. You did not believe in Jesus and the gospel the very first time you heard it. You didn't do it. I was seven years of age. I heard the gospel numerous times from pastors and my mother. From my grandmother, I heard it again and again and again and again. I wonder how many times I heard it. However many, 52 times 7 every Sunday on Sunday night, and then probably on Wednesday night, and then in the home, and then finally at 7 it clicked for me. Well, pastor, I'm an adult. Well, that's just, it takes you a little longer than it took me. I'm an advanced student. I got it when I was 7. No matter when, don't, don't be impatient with people. Be okay in repeating the good news of Jesus Christ. Because remember, you didn't get the first time either. There's a superficial hearing and there's a real hearing. Look what happens here, this real hearing. The moment you really hear and you really trust, the Bible says you're sealed. Now that word seal, you may think I'm talking about an animal that belongs in a zoo. No, I'm talking about more like a lawyer, that kind of seal. It's a legal term used. And this word, in ancient times, to seal something meant three items. It would mean three items. It would mean, first, if you sealed something, it was known as genuine. Secondly, if you sealed something, it was ownership. Third, if you sealed something, it meant it was secure. All three of these apply to you, and this is so incredible. This is going to raise your view of God. It's going to raise your view of how he loves you. First, the Bible says when you were sealed, it showed that you were genuine, that you were authentic. In fact, have you tried to get a driver's license, tried to get an ID now post 9-11? Have you tried this? I mean, you've got to bring your senator, your mama. You've got to bring your great-grandparents down to the driver's motor vehicle and say, I am who I really say that I am. You've got to bring like 18 things, especially if you've got a kid and you're trying to get your kid a driver's license. It's like you've got to give blood. Among the things you've got to do is you have to bring a certified birth certificate. Now, what I've got birth certificates. They're not certified. Certified, you put your hand over it and you feel that little crest. It's raised there. It's certified. Somebody somewhere says, this is, full name, Scott Mays. This is his parents. This is where he was born. It's certified. And it harkens back to what would have been done in Bible times. In Bible times, a king would have worn a ring or he would have had a ring nearby. It was a signet ring. It was a unique insignia on the ring. And when he had important documents... 
those around him would take hot wax. They would pour the hot wax on the document, fold it up, secure it so no one else could see it, and take his insignia, take his insignia and put it in the wax. That's what they would do. In fact, did you know the tomb of Jesus had the Roman insignia? The Bible says in Revelation 20 that God is going to put his seal on the pit in which he throws Satan, Revelation 20, verse 3. So that insignia, it was unique, and it was telling us that this was genuine. By the way, you don't mess with the king's seal. You don't step on Superman's cape, you don't spit in the wind, and you don't mess with the insignia, the seal of the king. You know what the Bible's telling you? The first evidence that you're a genuine child of God is the Spirit of God is inside of you, and that is the king's signet ring. He's sealing you. He's telling you that you're genuine. By the way, if you're going to stay away from messing with the king's signet ring of ancient times, you better stay away from messing with the king of kings and lord of lords signia because he sealed you. You don't want to mess with that. You don't want to do anything with that whatsoever. The Bible says, I'm sealed as genuine. Would you say that with me? I'm sealed as genuine. If you're in Christ today, I didn't ask if you prayed some prayer someplace. I didn't ask if you got wet. I didn't ask if you walked inside of a church sometime. I'm asking if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. If that is true of you, if you're in Christ, then I'm sealed as genuine. Here's the second thing that happens when you're sealed. You're sealed for ownership, for ownership. Now, I've been married 25 years, and my wife has been a mother for over 20 of those years, and there must be a mom school somewhere. They must take little girls away and teach them mom school because my wife, we have three kids. She's convinced we have four. And so what she does there is she frequently now, she does it with increasing frequency. She writes the kid's name on literally everything lunch boxes, books, backpacks. She's got an army, an array of Sharpies that she pulls out. It's like anything that comes in the house, the name of the kids. I've got my name written on my body somewhere right now to recognize me. I don't lose myself. This is what moms do. They just write the name of the child on the product, right? Look what God does here. He seals you. He's writing his name over you to show you that you are his. Look how Paul would argue, talking to the church in Corinth about being sexually correct, being sexually faithful. This is what he says. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Did you know that, believer? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. You're not yours. You are God's. And think about this for just a second. Have you ever, have you ever had something that took you a long time to purchase it? How did you treat? When you took a long time to purchase something, how did you treat that? So for example, a rental car versus a car that takes me three, four, five years to pay for. Which do you think I'm gonna treat better? The rental car or the car own? I've never taken a rental car through the car wash, never once, never will. I've never taken the rental car into the mechanics. I'd like to pay for this to get tuned up. I could care less about the rental car. At the end of the day or two, I would hand the keys over and say, I, this is yours. Now, when it's my car, you better believe I'm going to treat it well. I'm going to treat it right because it's taken me years to own that. Parents of teenagers, nod with me. Do you not see this with your kids? They treat your stuff like it's junk 
But when they buy, it's all of a sudden it's treasure. It's a light bulb moment. Now think with me. Think spiritually. How much does God have invested in you? At what cost did he purchase you? Was it cheap? No. This very sentence tells us, God's very son shed his blood for you. Now, if he paid that incredible cost for you, Mr. and Mrs. Teenager, what do you think, how do you think he's going to treasure you? If I'm going to treat that car that I own five, six, seven years that I've paid for, if I treasure it, do you think God treasures you? Absolutely he does. He shed his son's blood to secure you, and he's not going to let some jackleg come along and just treat you any old way. By the way, you shouldn't let some jackleg treat you some any old way. You should treasure that which God has purchased. You are valuable because you are God's. The sealing means you're genuine. The sealing means he owns you. Here's the third. He seals you for security. Let's just review. You're sealed. He seals your beliefs in, your unbelief out. He seals you because you have his trademark. His copyright is over you. And third, he will seal you in order to protect you from evil forces. He will protect you from evil forces. Take your Bible, if you will, and move from Ephesians 1 over to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. Make a left in your Bible and turn over there to the fourth Gospel. John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Go ahead and just turn there. If you've got a device, go ahead and flip over there for you. You'll want to do this. Why? Because pastors get in pulpits every Sunday and they lie through their teeth. You want to see with your own eyes that what I'm telling you is true. John chapter 5, verse 24. You're going to find right there in the fifth chapter, the, the verse 24, the, these are the Jesus' words himself. The Bible says, truly, truly, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Let's just for a minute look at that. At the moment you believe, Jesus says, you pass from death to life. At the moment you hear my word and believe him who sent me has eternal life, at that moment you've passed from death to life. In fact, the very beginning of it, did you notice what he said? Amen, amen, truly, truly. In other words, wake up, wake up, pay attention. I'm telling you some things from the vault, God would say, Jesus would say. At the moment, you pass from death to life. So look at, take a beautiful face and put it right here. Now, what does eternal life mean? You'd think that's an obvious question, wouldn't you? How long does eternal life last? I have to ask this question because I've been around Bible studies long enough. Eternal life should be eternal, right? Should be everlasting. Now watch carefully. You're looking at a guy who has eternal life. That happened to me when I was a young man. Now, if I ever lose it, if I ever lose it, it means it wasn't everlasting. It means it wasn't eternal. If I lose it, it isn't everlasting, and it means I never had it. Because if I have it, it's eternal. Simple. In fact, let's go one step further. If I were to say that I have it and lose it, God would lose honor. Because the Bible says God does not lie, and a liar loses his or her honor. God says at the moment 
you move from death to life. Jesus would say in John chapter 10, I have my hand on you and nothing will snatch you from my hand. And if that's not true, God is a liar and God has lost honor. If I ever lose it, it wasn't everlasting. And the truth is, if I ever lose it, whatever it was, it wasn't eternal. It's just that simple, friend. I've met with you, I've spoke with you, so many of you through the years, and we've talked about this, and this can free some of you up from the bars of anxiety and prison. I've had it with my own family, these discussions. Do I know the Lord? Am I saved? These are important, consequential, life and death decisions. And I'm telling you today, if God is true and God is not a liar, black ink on white paper and the Bible settles this, that if you have heard the gospel, not superficially, but really, you believe in him, you embrace him, you put your faith in him, then God says you have eternal life. And friend, may I say to you, may I suggest to you, with no disrespect to you whatsoever, who are you to question the veracity of God? Who are you to question the truthfulness of God? And as I stand here today, I need to share with you a personal story. came via text last night from a friend of mine that I had the privilege of serving and being his pastor years ago. And a young lady in our church there, probably the age of some of you and if not a little younger, her name is Abby. Abby grew up in a believing home. Her parents were strong believers. I remember her dad did not even like that I was doing an egg hunt way back in the day. That's how strong. I mean, homeschool, you know, should we celebrate Christmas strong? I love you homeschoolers. I've got a homeschooler too. Don't write me tomorrow. Now, listen carefully. So Abby grows up under that. And then because of a depression, because of some kind of counseling today, publicly she says, I question original sin. The Bible's teaching about sin. And then she said, I question the Bible's teaching about heaven and hell. And then she says, I question Jesus dying on the cross as my substitute. So that's heartbreaking to me, and that's happening. It's happening all over America. And lots of teenagers are growing up in churches just like this one. And they, they have not made their faith their own. And the Bible says this over in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. You might want to just write this near Ephesians, where the Bible says these words. They went out, John says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they'd been of us, they would have continued with us. That's the key word. They would have continued with us. I'm going to pause and just say the following. What hope do I have tomorrow that when I wake up and put my two feet on the left-hand side of my bed, as I make my way to the shower, what hope do I have that I'll still believe in Jesus? And I would tell you that I have no hope whatsoever and then I'm a pastor and I get paid and I've studied all this stuff. The only hope I have is that God will grip me tomorrow as he's gripped me today, as he's gripped me yesterday. All my hope is in God, every single piece of it. I know myself well enough that if left up to myself, we're in a dangerous situation. This third ceiling, not only for authenticity and for ownership, but I said in the end for security, and I said he seals me against evil forces. Some of those evil forces are not outside. Some of those evil forces are right in here. They're right in here. They're my sinfulness, my sinful nature. Now I want to bring up one last thing here on this, right there in verse 13 and verse 14. Did you see 
Did you see how he has sealed us? I've talked about all these various pieces, and I hope that you take this home, and I hope that moms and dads have conversations with little ones and teenagers. But did you see how he seals us? Did you see what he put down? It's the earnest money. Did you see it? Right there in verse 13. We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Tracy and I bought our first house in 1998 over here in South Fort Worth. And uh, the market wasn't as fast then as it is now. Many of you tell me when you put your house up for sale, five, six, seven offers. They're, they're bidding above asking price, all that kind of stuff. And so back then, I think it's the same way today. Some real estate person will come tell me if I'm wrong. But, you know, at the end of that, we found that house, the one she liked, and I handed over a check. Back when I wrote checks, I handed over a check for $1,000. You know what that $1,000 said? I'm serious. I'm serious about this house. I want this house. Here's $1,000. You put my name on this house. If I back out of this, you keep the money. That's earnest money. That's how that works. I want you to notice in verse 13 that when God puts his earnest money on a believer, it's not money. God puts God down as the earnest money, the Holy Spirit. The earnest money is the Spirit of God. Now, can you imagine for a minute that God would divorce himself from God? Do you ever think for a moment that God would walk away and say, you know what? I'm going to leave the third member of the Trinity back there. I'm going to walk away from that. I'm going to back out of this deal. Ain't, listen to this proper English, ain't no way that would happen. He would never, ever, ever, never, never, ever leave you. And he puts, he puts it down this pledge. God, the Spirit of God himself. He says, that is my down payment. You know that word right there in verse 13 that we get for the word earnest or sealed or promised right there that you see? It's the word we get for the word engagement. And about 25 years ago, three years before I bought that house, I finally convinced my wife to marry me. It took me several times to do it. I was, you wonder, why am I so persuasive on a Sunday? I practiced <laughs> on her. <laughs> you know what I did when I finally got her to say yes? I handed her a ring, and that ring was approximately about 75% of all the money I had in my life at that moment. And I said, this is how serious I am. I want you to have this. And, and I reeled her in like that fish, brought her in. <laughs> Kept her in this day. Yeah. You know what God's engagement ring to you is? You know what he puts on your finger as a believer? The Holy Spirit. He's not walking away from this deal. He is securing you. He's sealing you. That's how serious he is. I know we live in a free agent society. No player, almost no player, ends with the team he starts. I know we believe in a free agent society in churches. People don't stay with the same church. They don't stay with the same relationship or trading partners. I don't care what you see in America. The God of the Bible is intensely loyal. And he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You are his. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.